Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dan Berger about maintaining a positive work culture and promoting employee engagement during a pandemic. Dan Berger, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Westover. My pleasure. Oh, it's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to talk with you today. I'm excited to have a conversation around your organization, NAFQ, and I'll, I'll introduce you and your organization here in just a moment. Today, we're going to be focusing on positive work culture and employee engagement during a pandemic. So about how you've gone about doing that within your own organization, and hopefully some tips and ideas, uh, some insights on how everyone listening can do that within their own organizations as well, because the bottom line is everyone's been struggling this past year. It's been a really trying time. Uh, I, I think everyone is feeling it. We're a year into it, and it seems like there's light at the end of the tunnel. I just got my first dose of the vaccination the other day, and so I'm feeling excited about that, uh, but we're still not out of the woods yet, and, and this year has taken a toll for sure. As we get started, I just wanted to share Dan's bio with everybody. Dan Berger it first joined NAFQ in 2006 and helped turn the association into the premier advocate for the credit union industry. Since becoming president and CEO in 2013, Berger is also an author, economist, and one of Washington's top lobbyists. He is credited with bringing national attention to key policy issues while ensuring NAFQ's members meet policymakers at the highest levels of government. Under Berger's leadership, NAFQ has grown its membership by nearly 50%, and the association now represents 56% of the industry's assets. Subsequently, total association assets have grown 59% and revenue has increased by 40%. A well-known figure with political and financial press, Berger has been listed as one of the most influential lobbyists in Washington by The Hill newspaper every year since 2002. He is a recurring guest on Fox Business and has appeared on CNBC and CNN. He is also regularly quoted in national and financial news outlets such as Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, and Bloomberg. Berger earned a master's degree in public administration from Harvard University and a bachelor of science degree in economics from the Florida State University. He currently serves as chair of the National Board of Directors for the Florida State University Alumni Association and was an adjunct professor at the George Washington University in the communications department. Uh, and I could go on and on and on with your background, your bio, and all the many things that you've accomplished in your illustrious career. But again, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing your expertise with my audience. Before we launch into the conversation, anything else uh, that you would like to share uh, about yourself by way of background, personal context, or anything like that? 
No, not really. I think, I think you covered it. I, I think let's get started and start talking about culture and, and how to deal with this pandemic that's been uh, so aggravating and frustrating for all of us in, in this past year. So let's get rocking and rolling. Awesome. Thank you. And to start, uh, in, in your bio, it came out more about what NAFQ is, uh, but maybe start by just telling us a little bit more specifically about NAFQ. Um, and you've been there for a long time. You've been at the helm for a long time, uh, but that, that context will be helpful. And then we can jump into talking about uh, how you've worked to build NAFQ's work culture to facilitate greater employee engagement. Yeah, um, we're the National Association of Federally Insured Credit Unions. We represent all the credit unions across uh, the United States, as well as Puerto Rico and, and Guam. And uh, we represent them at the federal level. And that's you know the White House, Treasury Department, uh, the Small Business Administration, and of course, uh, Capitol Hill, and all the other prudential regulators that oversee financial institutions. And it's our job to make sure the legislative and regulatory environment uh, is there because we're, we're not-for-profit financial institutions. That's what credit unions are, not-for-profit financial institutions. So we want a reg regulatory and legislative environment where they can continue to grow and thrive and serve their 123 million uh, credit union members uh, across the country. Yeah, well, that's excellent. Thank you. And, and uh, an important organization. Uh, I, I've... Uh been a customer of a credit union for a really long time. So I, I on a personal level, appreciate that and appreciate your advocacy and uh, and work on behalf of that industry. Now, let's talk a little bit specifically now about NAFQ's work culture, where it was at when you joined the organization. It sounds like you've done a tremendous job over the last, you know, 10 plus years uh, of reshaping the organization in terms of its representation, its revenue growth, uh, all of that. I, I imagine with any of that sort of growth, there's also a lot of tensions and pressures that you have to deal with. So how have you managed that kind of a transformation and growth while keeping and you know maintaining and sustaining a positive work culture? Yeah, I was hired to be the head lobbyist in, in 2006. And then seven years ago, six years ago, was appointed uh, CEO. And we were always in a, a very strong place. NAFQ has always been uh, the leader in the credit union industry in terms of federal advocacy. Um, and what we try to change a little bit, as you may be aware, trade associations in Washington, DC, there's 20 or 30,000 of us here in the nation's capital, try, sometimes try to be all things to all people. And so we took a step back, my senior executive team and I, we stepped back and we started looking at it. So let, let's focus on what our, credit union CEOs and their teams really need. So I traveled 100,000 miles, still do pre-pandemic, meeting with uh, credit union CEOs, what do you want us to focus on? And every man, woman, and child that I spoke to said advocacy, uh, compliance assistance, and education and training. And that's all we do. We're hyper-focused on, on that. 99% of people join trade associations for the advocacy, for the lobbying. And so those three things we focus. And so when we, start, we step back and we're looking at uh, how to accomplish that, you got to take care of your staff and, and your employees. So when you walk into our headquarters here at NAFQ in, in Arlington, Virginia, a suburb just outside of Washington, D.C., we have a sign on the wall that, that, that says our staff is our most valuable asset. And we believe that. And, and, and you can't say just having a sign on the wall 
or an inspirational poster doesn't matter. You have to be authentic. You have to be genuine and you have to walk the walk. And, and so we focus on staff. And when the pandemic hit here, locally, it was, I guess, March 13th, Friday, March 13th, uh, we shut down. Uh, but we had invested in technology uh, six or seven years ago when I became CEO. Uh, my board of directors gave us the resources to do this. It wasn't being prescient for a pandemic. So don't, I'm not starting there. But it was one of those things we did it for weather-related situations. Because when I became CEO, we had a five, six-foot snowstorm uh, one week. Shut down all of Washington, D.C., uh, in the entire region, shut down NAFC, you know, so we can't operate like this anymore. So everybody has laptops. So we went digital, we went virtual within 24 hours. And so we already had uh, people already teleworking, something like 70, 80% of our staff uh, pre-pandemic were already teleworking. And so this was just an extension of that. And so we really, we were quickly to, to uh, switch over and to pivot into a, a virtual environment. And so we focus on culture and, and we talk about trying to create an environment where people can thrive and, and do the job. And because it matters what we're doing because when credit unions are doing well, there are 123 million members, there are 123 million customers are being taken care of. And that's really, really important, especially now. And, and so that, that was all focused the entire time. Uh, every morning, the senior executive team meets uh, every morning to talk about staff. What do they need? What resources do they need? Uh, what roadblocks are they running into? And so our mantra typically, especially this year, is let's remove some of the friction that, that they're experiencing. Do they need uh, additional training? Do they need additional tools? Some people like to have two monitors. We got them for them. And, and so we invest in them so they can do their job better. But it also helps with their quality of life uh, as well because you're, you're working from You don't even know if you're working from home or living at work, you know, it's, just, it's so confusing. The days run into one another. So our focus is solely on culture and making sure they have the tools and the support necessary uh, to be successful. Well, there's a lot there that I just loved. Uh, let me try to unpack a few things that stuck out to me. So the very first thing you said is is kind of these these core values of the organization to focus on the, the employee experience and the culture starting with a sign, but it's not just words on a wall, right? It's it's built into how the organization functions and how the leadership interacts with the people. <clears throat> and I think that's essential. Uh, we all know, you know, every organization, pretty much any organization of any size, they have a mission statement, a value statement, they have key, you know, values, they have a nice website, they have, you know, posters up on the walls. Uh, but it's it's one thing to, to say the right things, it's something completely different to, back it up with action, right? And the policies, practices, procedures, the way the organization is structured and the way leadership engages and interacts with the people, th that speaks volumes. That's really what people look to when they try to understand what the culture really is and how they fit with the values of the organization uh, and whatnot. So that's something that stuck out to me right away from what you were describing and I applaud you for that because that's not easy to do, to, to make sure that you're actually walking the walk. Uh, something else that you mentioned a couple times was about the investment in your people. And that is so essential. Uh, so often, and particularly during times of crisis, like a pandemic, uh, organizations are struggling. They're trying to figure out how to make payroll, keep the doors open. And very quickly, often one of the very first things that gets slashed and cut is anything related to investment and reinvestment into the people of the organization. 
it sounds like you took the opposite approach, though. You you were proactive uh, before the pandemic ever hit for other you know relevant reasons like weather, like you talked about, but recognizing there's a clear need for our people for their safety that we need to allow for uh, virtual work. And then when the the pandemic hit. Uh, you were able to pivot and adapt quickly and then also reinvest in your people to give them the equipment they need uh, to, to be effective and productive, for example, and to provide the, the, the support and the training and all those sorts of things that are necessary for people to make the, the adjustment to working from home and juggling work life, family, all those sorts of things like everyone's had to do during this pandemic. And I think that's, uh, that's tremendous. I think of my own experience um, and I have to admit, I, it was, it's silly now that I think about it. Maybe I was just thinking we would get through the pandemic much more quickly. Uh, but it's my, my, I'm a professor, uh, that's kind of my day job. And then I do consulting stuff on the side and the podcast, um, the university, nothing against my university, but they didn't do anything proactive about making sure that we had like homework setups that were really stellar. And so I just worked for my little laptop you know, from the corner of my bedroom for months and months. And then finally, one day I just decided, you know what, this is stupid. I, <laughs> and I, I just went and bought myself, you know, extra monitors and like the equipment. It was just a few hundred bucks. I got everything taken care of. And now I have a beautiful setup. I'm way more productive. And it, it you know, I can't help but think, I understand the constraints of a public university and in, in trying to provide uh, equipment for, you know, a thousand faculty members. Uh, I get that. On the other hand, though, the amount of productivity that came from me reinvesting into myself and just providing that work arrangement was huge, and it's probably a missed opportunity for, for the university. Uh, and so we need to be thinking along those lines as we're organizational leaders. How do we support our people in tangible ways with equipment? How do we support them uh, intellectually, socially, um, emotionally when we're all being isolated, right? All these things are, are going together in creating this this experience that people have been having during the pandemic. And then the other piece that I think really is the outcropping of the culture element that you emphasize so strongly is how that translates over into employee engagement and, and effectiveness and productivity. So maybe we can dive down that path a little bit deeper and uh, share, share with us what you saw coming out of that investment, that reinvestment into your people and how did that translate over to employee engagement and enhancement of how everyone was working together? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, 
organizations, and work. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. From an engagement standpoint, we still struggle with it. Uh, we, we concentrated uh, pre-pandemic so much on culture, so much on taking care of our colleagues that um, that's one of the things I'm worried about that keeps me up at night is maintaining that culture and degradation that may be occurring from that culture. We're far from perfect. We work on it every single day and we try to make inroads. But I, I, when early in my career as a CEO, I had an executive coach named John Spence and really helped me um, see the, my blind spots. We all have them. And, and it really walked through. And one of the weaknesses that we had was thinking we've communicated enough. And he said, there's three things, Dan, that you have to do and you have to do better and you have to do on a daily basis is communicate, communicate, and communicate. And, and that's something we work on because it's the old, what, the old advertising mantra that you have to, people have to hear it seven to 10 times before it sticks and it, it, it clicks. It's the same thing uh, with your colleagues, with your staff. Sometimes you have to hear it more. But just because they're, they're, they're listening doesn't mean they hear you. And sometimes you have to do it. And so we have a monthly all staff meeting. Unfortunately, it used to be all in person. We have 70 employees here at our company, at our association, uh, used to be in person, but we're doing virtually now. And so we have a monthly all staff meeting. We have an, a, a monthly management team meeting. And then of course, I mentioned earlier, our senior execs meet every morning because things are changing all the time. CDC guidelines are changing and everything else. So that engagement is something we talk about all the time. And a couple of years ago, we had created pre-pandemic a culture committee and they talk about culture. It wasn't focus on the pandemic and things along those lines. It was focused, uh, you know, let's find out what they want. What do they want for their holiday party? Do they want, what tools do they need? Do they need extra monitors? Uh, do they want a, the lobster roll food truck to, to roll in? Those kinds of things. Let's create a culture where it's fun. It's a fun place to work. And then of course the pandemic messed all that up for us. And uh, that's the hardest part we're working on. And we work on it all the time. Uh, Jonathan, it, it's it's the engagement, it's the communication, and it, it's all under the umbrella of culture. And it's something I struggle with every day, and we're focused on all the time. We read books nonstop about it, we talk about it nonstop, um, but it's something you have to be focused on, you have to be intentional, and, and your message has to be authentic to your staff. Like at, at my company, we provide 100% healthcare, and as a as a nonprofit association, we have almost a for-profit uh, bonus structure. So when NAFTU does well, the staff gets rewarded for that uh, too. And so the, the, those kinds of things, when you say walk the walk, that investment matters. We, we, we've been open since last May. It's on a voluntary basis. And we have proto safety protocols and masks required and everything else. We bought masks, sanitation stuff that people can take home uh, and wear and stuff like that. So we provided supplies for them uh, to protect themselves and their families and things like that. But that engagement, it all stems from communication. And it's uh, you can't communicate enough uh, to your colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. And you highlighted something that I think pretty much every organization has been grappling with. And that is how do you 
maintain and sustain a culture, a healthy culture, when so many people are working virtually and you're never like actually together. Uh, and then there can be implications for engagement. Now, there have been studies that have come out over this past year that have shown in many ways uh, productivity has uh, been enhanced during the pandemic. And in large part, you know, that's attributed to people not having long commutes and, you know, flexibility uh, with their work life and, you know, being able to actually put in more time towards their work because they're, they're not being distracted in the office and such. But there's definitely drawbacks to not being together in person as well. And it can be hard to make sure that everyone feels connected, they feel part of the organization, they feel committed to the purpose, uh, and that they feel supported. And, and, and it's one thing to be productive in the short term. It's another thing entirely to have long-term you know, engagement, sustainable engagement and commitment uh, because we, we can get burnout. And what we've seen also during this past year is that the, the levels of burnout have been rising uh, because people are working probably more than they should. Uh, you know, we can't go anywhere, so we're stuck in our house, so we're working longer hours, we're working weekends, we're not taking vacation and paid time off um, because we can't go anywhere. And so th those types of elements, while it leads to more productivity, it, it in the long run, it's, it, it can be quite damaging. Um, so. I, I guess I'm saying that to, to just acknowledge that, yes, this is an issue, a challenge that everyone has been facing. It's not unique to your organization, of course, uh, and it's good that you're grappling with it because I think that's the first thing that needs to happen <clears throat> is that we just need to acknowledge the importance of the culture, of the engagement, and then try to wrestle with the norms and values of our organization and how that translates over to what we can do for our people in a way that's authentic. You said that several times today already, that we need to be genuine and authentic in how we approach it. Well, from our standpoint, you can say all you want, but you have to walk the walk. You have to provide the, the support that they need. And, and we struggle with it. And, and we're, we're struggling with burnout as well. And so we're, we're trying to get as much information from our staff, what, what do you need? Is there a workload issue? Do you need to turn off your computer and, and put it in the bottom of your sock, uh, sock drawer, whatever it is, we, 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 we talk about on a regular basis, but we're still uh, experiencing. We prov our uh, healthcare provides terrific uh, mental uh, wellness, uh, uh, you know, counseling and things along those lines, but you have to talk about it over and over again, and we're still not talking about it enough. And then we talk about it uh, at every meeting, take your vacation time, for goodness sakes. And when that time's up, Put, shut down your laptop, put your phone away. You got to take time for yourself and for your family and have that downtime. But those lines do start blur, uh, blurring. And people, you're right. I've seen similar studies uh, that show productivity is up almost 9%. But I think it's because of the working longer hours. And, and I think that you have to have the self-discipline uh, to shut down and, and not feel guilty because you got an email at 7 o'clock that you have to answer. And in those, and because I do it, you know, you know it's the, I, I'm probably one of the worst ones in the building, and and I get tired uh, as well. So I know the others in, in the building are experiencing burnout uh, as well. So it's something you got to talk about. Uh, we're, we are giving folks, uh, you know, a half day off this Friday uh, to, to start the weekend. We want people to have downtime. They're working so hard. When the pandemic first hit, and you'll remember this, when the PPP program was passed out of Congress. We, we literally worked six, uh, six weeks, seven days, 16 hour days, 
for six weeks. I mean, it was all hands on deck throughout the entire association, the entire company. Everybody was working because our members needed the help. And all these uh, regulatory uh, provisions were flying out of the SBA. We're working nonstop. The burnout was tremendous. And so, but we, we're not expecting that. Yeah, there was a period of time, but what happens is kind of hard to slow down that spigot or turn that spigot off if you're in that groove of working those kind of hours and, and being that responsive, uh, it's really tough. And we, we're, we're wrestling with it as we speak. Yeah, and something that you, you mentioned just reminded me of the importance as, as we're investing in our people, if we value um, the mental health of our people, the, the, the emotional well-being of our people, we're trying to stave off burnout, make sure that people are make, putting in sustainable effort towards their work. It really does come back to some of the boundaries that we set and as leaders as we set within our organization. So with you, for example, um, you, you have the opportunity to set the example for your people that they don't need to be answering emails at seven or eight at night. Uh, they, yep. they can unplug, but employees often, it doesn't really matter what you say because they, they look to, towards their leadership for what is actually kind of the behavior that's acceptable and promoted. And so if they don't see their boss taking time off, uh, then they're probably not going to take the time off. If they see their boss sending emails or responding to emails at 8 p.m., they're probably going to feel like they have to do the same thing. And so it's it's a really good reminder to all of us. Uh, and I, I do the same thing. I, I am totally guilty of the exact same thing. And I'll, you know, I, I just, if I get an email, I just like to be able to respond so I don't, it's not weighing on my mind and taking up mental bandwidth. Um, but I got to remember that if I'm sh firing off an email at 10 p.m., I have no expectation that anyone else responds until the next day, but people are going to get that and feel the need to respond. And it's my responsibility to resist the urge to send that 10 p.m. email. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm a relatively private person, but I tell folks when I'm taking vacation, you know, I'm taking a long weekend here. My daughter uh, is a junior in high school. We're visiting colleges and we're taking a vacation or she and I are going to go skate. Uh, to the mountains and, and go fly fishing. I intentionally uh, verbalize that. I, I share that um, so they know to do that. And I've been really better, not good, but better at turning off my phone and literally leaving it on my dresser, you know, and next to my Apple watch. And I'm not wearing that uh, anymore either because that's just as bad because you can be as responsive by that little gizmo. And, and so I'm intentionally, I'm doing it, I'm, I'm not good at it, but I work at it all the time um, because I'm the same as you. It would weigh on me, you know, I, I'm borderline OCD, ADHD, you know, you know, extrovert, and all of a sudden I've got to respond to people and I have to take a step back. I work on it all the time, man, all the time. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's all anyone can ask. And as long as we're making that effort, um, people can see that authentic, genuine effort um, that, that we're trying to make as examples, uh, trying to walk the walk. Nobody expects perfection. The other thing that I think it's worth noting is that it's it's been a challenging time for everyone, including leaders within organizations. So, you know, we, well, you, you bear the weight of trying to keep the organization going and functioning well uh, and taking care of the needs of your people. 
you don't necessarily have anyone looking out for you that way. So, so you have to practice self-care and making sure you're uh, taking the time and uh, taking care of yourself in the way that is necessary so you can make sustainable effort and be able to, to take care of your people as well. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to uh, answer emails when you're in the middle of a, a stream fly fishing. It's uh, I ride a Harley. It's hard to you know respond to emails when you're riding a Harley. It's intentional that I'm doing those things because I can't do either one of those things. You know, yeah, I can't respond to emails or return phone calls. Yeah. But when I do that, so I, I intentionally uh, do things that give me downtime for myself as well as for my family. Um, but it has to be intentional. Yeah, well, I love that. Well, Dan, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. The time has flown by. Uh, I'm actually kind of shocked as I look at the, the clock and I realize I probably need to let you go here in a moment. Um, I really appreciate all of your insights, uh, everything that you've been trying to do at NAFQ and, and making sure that your employees are taking well uh, care of. And I think it's a, it's a great lesson and case study in what other organizations can be doing. Anyone listening today, you can, you can uh, think about what you can do to better support and sustain your people during this kind of difficult time and how engagement is an outcropping and, and a, a result of positive work, hopefully positive work culture. So I appreciate everything that you've shared with us today. Before we close, I did want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about you and your organization, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. I, I, I can be reached and I'm on LinkedIn under B. Dan Berger. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter. Same handle, B. Dan Berger. Uh, if you want to hear, learn more about NAFQ, it's nafq.org. Uh, but I would just say, I would, I would close with culture is king. Focus on the culture. Uh, that's what matters. It, it, strategies are important. Uh, execution is, is crucial. But for any of that to be uh, successful, you have to have culture. And culture is king. Absolutely. Amen. I completely agree. Uh, thank you, Dan. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected with Dan, find out more about what he can do for you and what NAFCU uh, can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.